This is Authors in Focus. James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMV Reed. The first volume of my epic 12-book fantasy series, Shadow the Dragon, is available for purchase. Check out Foundation of Courage. Today, I'm joined by John Dyer. He's the author of Quantum Soul, the Ein Legacy Book 2. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing fine. Thank you. All right. So uh, I like to start off these uh, interviews by asking a uh, a dumb question of my guests. Okay. That amuse me. So, like, um, are you a morning person or are you an evening person? I'm a morning person. I have a tendency to get up around 5 a.m. I like to see the sun come up, and uh, I'm told it's good for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I wake up at 4.30. But not to watch the sun come up, just to start working or start writing. I don't know. I daydream. I daydream. I get up in the morning, have coffee, watch the sun come up, look at the river, and just think about stuff. Yeah, my window is my neighbor's backyard in their house, so it's not really a great view. Uh, at least not from my bedroom. I mean, I don't know. I guess my porch. I could probably see the sun rising over Mount Rainier if it's not cloudy. Yeah, you should try it tomorrow. Yeah, but now I'm writing. See, I like to wake up and start writing first thing. Oh, I see. The longer I'm awake, the less productive I get. So I have to start right from the get-go to really just maximize my productivity. I do most of my writing in the evenings uh, when when my wife is online taking her Spanish lessons and I hide down in my little uh, man cave and and type away for a couple hours. No, it's just the longer the day goes, the less year I get. So I have to start right away. <laughs> but that's just me. Um yeah, so uh, how long have you wanted to be an author, John? How long have I wanted to be an author? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I never wanted to be an author. Um, I was uh, I was a technical writer uh, as a professionally. Uh, well, it was kind of a, a side effect of being a uh, computer software architect, and I wrote <laughs> large systems, and so I had to write manuals for them. So I became pretty good at that, but. Uh, I started writing around the mid-80s. I woke up from one of those dreams, a very lucid dream, of only about 15 seconds, but it it stuck in my head. It was one of those things where I I couldn't really make a connection to anything in my experience that would make me have a dream like that. And so I had to ask myself, you know, what was that about? Actually, I did that for quite a long time, and then I thought, well, you know, there's got to be a story behind this little 15-second scene that I saw in my dream, and I started writing the story and then started filling out index cards and organizing the story. And so we were at a, my wife and I were at a dinner party in Sarasota, Florida, and one of the ladies there uh, was a uh, English literature uh, professor at uh, one of the South Florida colleges, had a, a Master of Fine Arts in Literature, and I sat down and I, I kind of whined. I said, you know, i got this really great story in my head, and I'd really like to write it, but I've never written fiction before, and kind of feel inadequate for it. And she said, oh, stop, stop whining and write your book. And so uh, that was around, I don't know, 2011 or so, and uh, so, I, you know, I went home and I, I took her seriously, and I, well, that's actually why I became a writer, but, but then I found out that, uh, you know, and I retired shortly after that, I, you know, I looked at all the hobbies that I had uh, when I was a younger man, and a lot of those involved being a good suffer or a 
things. How do you get into amateur welding? Out of curiosity. Oh well, um, actually, it was a matter of need. I had a I had a boat that I was uh, rebuilding, and uh, I decided to stretch the boat. So it's a, an aluminum. Uh, what, what at the time was a twenty twenty nine foot cruiser, and uh, I wanted to repower it. So I got together with a friend who was a welder, and we uh, rented a space in a in a farmer's barn. I bought some welding equipment, and we stretched the boat uh, about three feet. And that kind of started me into, you know, using welding. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I did some welding in shop class in junior high. Uh, they should not allow, like, 14-year-old kids to play with welders. That's my opinion after going through that class. Because I yeah. did so much dumb stuff when the shop teacher wasn't looking. But, like, yeah, no, it's fun. My dad, he my dad, he had a welder set because he was a mechanic. So he's always oh. working on, like, cars out in the garage. And so he would weld stuff. I mean, it was the 80s or the 90s, so you had, like, cars that didn't need computers to, you know, fix them. So you could just, I don't know, weld things together. I'm not really sure. I was never really into cars and stuff. But, yeah, no, that's what you did. Well, at one time, I had a I had a wire welder. I had a great big TIG welder. Yeah. <laughs> I had a plasma arc cutter. Uh, I had cutoff tools. I had a whole big shop full of stuff. And I disposed of all of that. So now all I have is a little bitty portable gas welder, and, and I use it every once in a while. But. Well, anyways, let's, um, let's get back to what we're really here to talk about, which is uh, your writing and your novel, uh, Quantum Soul, which is the second book in your series I, from looking on Amazon. And um, so as I, it seems to be about like what if science proves sort of like the existence of the soul and uh, what if maybe this guy named Amil uh, discovered beings that maybe are angels, maybe they're not. Yeah, Amil. They might be minotaurs. What, what's right, going on? Uh, well, what happens with Amil? Is that he's a, he's a physics student and he's studying transdimensional physics at a university on the planet Madura. And, uh, so he's got, you know, going for his doctorate in physics, he's got to come up with a, a project and write a thesis. So he reads this monologue by a famous physicist where the, um, physicist speculates on the nature of the soul, the mechanics, if you will, behind the attachment of the soul to the physical body. And uh, although there's no math in the monograph in the essay, starts Amiel into thinking, well, maybe I'll investigate this. He looks into it, and he discovers that the soul, uh, or a theorite, provides in another dimension that's body, quantum impact, builds a imitative process that things might enable the person to see the soul. And uh, so he starts going to uh, get some, sorry, makes a connection with the lady who's in medical school. She's in uh, elder care. And it's about uh, six months worth of hospital. So he goes to uh, a deathbed and brings the apparatus and sets it up and says, well, you know, the soul is what I think it is. I will see the soul when you fight. And it, he attacks the gut. And it confirms his uh, notions about the architect. Okay. Yeah, so, so so he discovers there's a soul, but like uh, there's also something about angels, if I read the blurb oh, correctly. Right. So, so uh, while he's at deathbeds, uh, watching souls leave the body, he sees even brighter souls come to meet them and escort them to the between life. And so he imagines that these must be angels. And, uh, so, so I, I, I kind of, I kind of, uh, leave it open for you to decide whether they are in fact angels or something else. And in fact, he's, he's rather confused about it in the story, but he and his, uh, partner in engineering create a quantum vessel. 
um, a vessel emulate uh, the biological features that makes the soul one body. And they design it specifically for these high energy spirits. And so that's your quantum soul, soul vessel, and the appearance of angels. These disembodied uh, souls in the chamber, and um, like we do, uh, the theory in, uh, for instance, Buddhism and, and other religions about reincarnation is that your past life is washed out of your memory and you're born again as a new person, and, and that happens to them. And so they are raised in the virtuality, basically the matrix, uh, with parents, uh, surrogate parents, and they go to school, and the whole bit, and they grow up. And in the virtuality. All right. Well, it sounds like you have uh, some interesting ideas you're exploring. And, you know, I, I think that probably the toughest thing about, uh, you know, a, a rather novel concept like this is telling a story in a way that it seems natural. Yeah, no, I gotcha. So this is kind of like um, a bit of like kind of like a, a science fiction techno thriller or. Um... Well, actually, you know, I, I've had uh, uh, our friend Michael Evan. Uh, said something interesting. He, he's been reading, um, my latest novel, Albert. Okay. And he, and he, uh, he commented that he thought the book was, uh, sentimental. And, uh, and I had never thought about that before. And, uh, and then Ashley Manning, an, an author in England, uh, read the book. And, uh, he made, uh, the observation that, uh, well, the part of it he liked about the book was, uh, the, the uh, family drama aspect of it. And so um, I have been for a long time wrestling with how do, how do I describe my work to other people to make them understand whether or not they might be interested in reading And um, so, you know, I've been describing my work as literary science fiction because it's, it's not Ray Guns and Rock. It's uh, about people, about life, about, you know, facing okay. life with, with nobility and courage. And, okay. uh, and, and so those those two ideas that uh, Albert was um, perhaps half of the content was family drama, which I have to agree with. And then Michael saying that it was uh, it was sentimental, which after I thought about it for a while, I, I thought, um, you know, I tried to come up with synonyms for that. And um, and I guess the only the only things that could really sounded right for me was a phrase that is. Um, uh, summoning a, a feeling about the good old days when everything was centered or seemed to be. Okay. Yeah. So you know, is it? Uh, yeah. It's you know, it's there's uh, there's uh, mystery and adventure and action and intrigue, uh, but it's all kind of wrapped up in. Um, well, I'm kind of wrapping the, the fantastic in the mundane. So there's a lot of you know daily life nuance about it. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I was just trying to like, is it like Michael Crichton, but science fiction aliens, or are we like, as you said, literary science fiction? Yeah, we're, so we're more like maybe Anthony Doerr. Or I'm not, uh, I'm not <laughs> still reading the literary genre, so. Yeah. Uh, but no, you throw out some examples. I'm sure the readers who do. David Mitchell, William Gibson. Uh, if you if you if you okay, ever so I know William Gibson. That's um, yeah. that's like the father of cyberpunk. Right, but if Never you read, read William uh, Gibson. But I know, I know who he is. Yeah. Well, if you read his, if you read his novel uh, *Spook Country*, uh, it, it's it's actually not a cyberpunk book at all, and it's uh, I would say it's probably uh, closer to the the sort of thing I'm writing uh, than any of his other books. Gotcha. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, so it does sound very interesting. Uh, with, uh, the sort of like, um, just sort of this exploration of like technology and trying to figure out fundamental truths of the universe, which is always a fun thing to have in, you know, books and stuff, right? You know, stories that are exploring things and, you know, taking your own, um, I don't know, trying to understand what everything is going on and what the meaning of it all is and stuff like that. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, and I, and it, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I don't go into, uh, writing, um, a story with any particular agenda or goal in mind other than to just tell, uh, uh, tell the story in an interesting and entertaining way. But, um, an author's perspective, you know, who I am gets in the book. I mean, it's, yeah, of course. Yeah, it cannot help but get into the book. And, so the things that I believe or the things that I care about or the things I think are important, that kind of comes out in the book. When you go to like write something very specific, like you wanted to send a, like write about a message or something, I think that's when people don't like it because it, they can detect they're being like preached to. But when you're just like telling a story that you're just, you're telling this is a story you're telling and it just happens to have, you know, your beliefs in there, they just get woven in. It's a lot different because it feels very, you know, sincere. Versus sure. I'm sitting at church uh-huh. <laughs> trying to read a, like a fantasy book and, yeah. you know, like whatever, like, you know. If I have, you know, I do have, you know, kind of like principles or axioms. Um, like for instance, I just hate it when I'm, I'm reading and the protagonist, the main character has to make all these foolish mistakes in order to fail because, you know, the, Build tension in book and to, you know, follow the three act form, you know, where at the end of act two, all is almost lost because the, you know, because the hero has, has been beaten, uh, by the antagonist or the villain. And, you know, if you, if you have to make the hero so defective in order for the villain to succeed, then you're not making the villain big enough and powerful enough. You know, you get, so, you know, that's like, as far as principles, what's my message? My message there is you don't have to be stupid to fail. <laughs> you know? Like, let's just, I think, um, you, you know, an author can only write as intelligently as they are. Maybe, you know, when you have someone who's not a very good writer and they're writing stuff, you know, they don't necessarily think about those things. You know, they, they're like, they look for the easy ways or maybe they just, I don't know, they think this is how they have to, you know, they think that your character needs to grab the idiot ball to create tension or whatever. Yeah, I not yet, and I agree with you. That's a lack of imagination. Uh, but you know, I, I saw an interesting quote the other day. I can't remember who, who said it, but he said, um, uh, something along the lines of, uh, the, uh, depth of your imagination is dependent on how much you know. Sure. And, and so that, that kind of fits because if, if you don't, you know, know a lot of things, you might have a hard time dreaming up the means by which the villain might succeed despite you know all well, all the virtues that you that you've given to the hero in the story. Yeah, no, I like to I like to have villains that are, um, yeah, that they're you know they're they're doing their thing, and they're either adapting to what the heroes are doing, or they're just enough ahead of the hero that, you know, they're still getting their plan off. Like the heroes have, you know, the heroes are maybe acting not stupidly, but from a point of not all the information, so they're maybe yeah. making they're making decisions based off the information they have, but they don't have the full picture, and so that can lead to, you know, tragedy. 
Sure. But um, yeah, but that's not like where they're just they're just too dumb, <laughs> doing stupid <laughs> things. You know, or you see contrivances. Yeah, you see these movies where the uh, the you know the 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 villain is chasing these teenagers and they run away and they they're in this building and the, one of the teenagers picks up a two by four and he waits for the villain to pop around the corner and he smacks him in the face, right? And the yeah. villain's down on the ground and the first gotta, thing that the gotta keep hitting the two, keep hitting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they drop, yeah, they drop the weapon and run. You know, and you know, if I'm writing that story, you know, the teenager is going to cave this guy's head in, and he's not getting up. Okay, and you better, if you want more tension in the narrative after that scene, then you better think of something else because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, no, that's like if they're a smart person. Well, yeah, uh-huh. but like you, you just change it so like the villain, I don't know, the villain like blocks the attack or whatever. Yeah, it's a oh. good idea. You tried, but. Yeah. The villain's just like a better fighter than you, so you gotta run again. Or, or, or maybe there's more than one villain that you didn't know about. That's, maybe, that's he, always... maybe he had a partner. Or maybe there'll be some other threat that's gonna come right after that. If that's what you need to have happen. But, uh, but anyway, the, you know, the point is that, and I know, you know, in real life, somebody can be too frightened to make good choices. So, you know, maybe that wasn't the best example, but at, at any rate, I, I try and, you know, I try and think through, well, you know, I don't really think through the story very much in the first draft, you know, I just write. It's, you know, it's the second draft where I come back and try and apply writer's craft and uh, make sense of what I wrote. So, I, honestly, those ideas don't even come up until I'm, I'm reading my material and it. Yeah, no, I, I had a villain in my last book that the main character, or not the main character, he's a character, there's a lot of characters, it's an ensemble story. But he's, yeah. uh, like, he's, like, he's, you know, he's had this bad experience with this empire, and he, the princess, like, she's happens to be with him, and, like, the people looking for the princess show up, and, like, they just killed one of, like, our party members with an ambush attack. They're yeah. like, oh, look, there's the two people, there's the person we need to take out, there's a good threat right there, so just throw some artillery shells onto them, basically, kill them, and then we're going to come in with our guns and just capture everyone else and sort things out, get the princess back alive. That was that was how they did it, and that's what they did, basically. Although their attack didn't kill my main character, uh, you know, because I can't kill my main character, but, like, right. they gave him the good college try of just taking him out by ambush. And um, and they killed another character, and uh, so he's like, he grabs the princess, he's like, I'm going to slit her throat, you're going to back off, let her go. And so she's like, captured one of their previous party members, so she knows who everyone is, so she just points a gun at his sister and said, well, you slit the princess's throat, and I'm going to kill your sister. And she called his bluff. And he's uh-huh. like, he's like, I know I'll really do it. He's like, that's fine. Like, we can't, the Empire's not going to be held hostage even to, like, uh, the princess. Uh-huh. So, you know. <laughs> uh, now yeah. what do you do? Uh-huh. He, yeah, he, well, he surrendered. It, yeah, but, like, no, it was a, I like writing villains <laughs> like that. Uh-huh. They were like, no, I'm uh, I'm here doing my duty, and you know this is what it has to do. You know, oh well, you know the Empire thinks they're trying to save the world, so they're like, we're not going to be, you know, we're here with a mission, and you guys are a threat to our mission. So if we have to lose a princess, we have to lose a princess. Yeah, you know, uh, you bring up an interesting uh, idea in that, uh, and I've done this uh, in several of my books, acknowledging that the villain in the story is not necessarily without virtue of some sort. No. I love having I love having villains that just 
they're more like my villains tend to be more of the ends justify the means sort of characters uh-huh. where they see what they're doing is virtuous. Yeah. They just go about it in evil, efficient ways yeah. that I, that me as the author saying like, okay, this is, they're maybe not necessarily wrong, but mm-hmm. you can't just do it this way. Like just for, you know, like moral reasons. Uh, I guess I would come back to like, you know, I'm not a fan of consequentialism. So <laughs> I, I often give my villains consequentialist outlooks. So there you go. Well, in the, um, in the, uh, Ani Legacy books, the first three books, uh, Illusion of Gravity, Quantum Soul, and Resilient, um, there's kind of a circumstantial vil- villain in the stories, and that's the, uh, the untamed, uh, continent of Lagu, which is, uh, you can kind of think of it as, uh, you know, Afghanistan. Uh, uh, you know, it's their Afghanistan. And, um, and, and Lagu is, uh, uh, is the whole population of Lagu is kind of held hostage to the most aggressive tribe that live there. And so a lot of bad things come out of it, but there's a lot of people who live, live there who aren't really part of the disorder and cruel societies. And so, uh, in the first book, really it seems kind of like everybody on Lagu is terrible. And then in the second book, you start to get an idea that maybe not everybody on Lagu. And then by the third book, you get the idea that there's a lot of people on Lagu who would like to change what life is like there. And, and I kind of did that deliberately. Uh, I kind of wanted to expose that over a period of time. I gotcha. Well, um, I'd like to let our listeners know where they can connect with you on social media and stuff. Sure. Well, I'm on, uh, of course, I'm on Facebook, John Dyer Writes, Instagram, John Dyer Writes, TikTok, John Dyer Writes, YouTube, John Dyer Writes, Substack, John Dyer Writes, uh, WordPress, John Dyer Writes. So that's, yeah. I guess I could have just said John Dyer Writes one time. You've kept your branding consistent. That's always good. Yeah. Well, John, it's been uh, really great talking with you. James, a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad we could do this. Yeah, you have yourself a great day. Same to you. This has been Authors in Focus. You can find my fantasy novels on Amazon. Follow news of my writing at my blog, jmd-read.com. And follow me on Twitter, at jmdread. You can also join my reader group on Facebook, Fantastical Worlds of the Imagination. You can find more episodes of the podcast at fantasy-focus.com and wherever your favorite podcast is hosted.